Okay, joining me now is uh, making his second appearance on the show is reporter Jefferson Morley, who has been quite busy as of late at uh, jfkfacts.substack.com. Uh, I guess I'll begin here. Uh, Jefferson, today is Thursday, December 15th, 2022. Can you discuss the significance of that date for you and your work? So today is the deadline that was set by President Biden in a memo last year for federal agencies to disclose all of their JFK-related records. According to the National Archives, that's about 16,200-plus documents held by government agencies that still contain redactions and are related to the assassination of President Kennedy. So today we are expecting that um, about maybe half of those will be uh, released in full. We still don't have the exact numbers. The documents haven't been posted on the National Archives website. Um, so there will be some disclosure today and there will be substantial continuing secrecy around JFK records. But even before these documents came out, I mean, there's already been, uh, thanks to your work, um, a number of interesting um, new disclosures regarding the Kennedy case. Uh, you uh, spoke at a press conference at the uh, a media event at the National Press Club in D.C. last Tuesday. Could you talk about uh, some of the evidence uh, presented at that press conference? Yeah, I, you know, um, I'm associated with the Mary Farrell Foundation, which is the sponsor of the largest online collection of JFK documents. And we've spent a lot of time looking at JFK records that were released recently, JFK records that are going to be released, and JFK records that were released a long time ago. And so we've kind of gotten a good take on what is the most sensitive thing that the CIA doesn't want to talk about. And it's very clear from the pattern of, of deceptive statements over the years that they're withholding their sources and methods, quote unquote, their spying techniques as they related to Lee Harvey Oswald while President Kennedy was still alive. So that's a very serious allegation because the official story is oh, we didn't know anything. We didn't know much about this guy. And then he up and killed the president. And we now know that that story is false, that there were a group of CIA, top CIA officials who knew a lot, a, a, a whole lot about Lee Harvey Oswald, about his politics, his personal life, his travels. They, he was monitored very closely by senior CIA officers in 1963. And the de- evidence that we found indicates that he was used for operational purposes. So we're hoping that the records that should be released publicly about this subject will be released today. Um, we've gotten some indication that there will be substantial release today, and we also have the same indication that there will be substantial withholding that will continue after today. Uh, a name that comes up uh, quite a bit here is a, a CIA agent named George Johannides. Is that how you say his name? Jo- Joannides. Jo- jo- George Joannides. Um, who was George Joannides and what was his connection to Oswald in these like op- in the, in alleged operations in the months leading up to the Kennedy assassination? Um, Joannides was a mid-level, decorated career CIA officer. He's interesting precisely because He's just a foot soldier in all of this. He's clearly responding to the orders of people above him, more senior CIA officers. So he was the chief of psychological warfare operations in the Miami station in 1963. And he was the case officer for a group of CIA-funded Cuban exiles 
who generated propaganda about Oswald both before and after the assassination. So what we want at the Mary Farrell Foundation is we want all of his records from 1963 to understand what was this about? What was all this operational activity around Oswald by CIA assets? Not CIA agents or officials, but CIA assets. What was going on there? And we know a lot about what was going on there, but a lot is un- unclear because there's still substantial secrecy. Um, this would relate to the, uh, I mean, at least theoretically, this would relate to the incident in which Oswald was accosted by anti-Castro Cubans on the streets of New Orleans. That is, that is exactly. QB Fair Play for Committee, yeah. Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Could you explain that? Yeah. So Joe Anidi's agents um, were, belonged to a group called the Cuban Student Directorate, which was a militant anti-Castro group, which was funded by the CIA in 1963. And the New Orleans chapter of that group, which was funded by the CIA, had this series of encounters with Oswald in August 1963. And that was not an accident. That was the result of the CIA's operational interest in the thoroughly unknown ex-Marine. So that's the story that we're trying to get to the bottom of. And that's the story that the CIA has been withholding. You, you described uh, some of this evidence as, uh, yes, there is a smoking gun. I mean, you've been working on this for 28 years now. I know you don't use the term smoking gun lightly, but like, how, how are you using that phrase? I mean, is it, just, is it simply just the confirmation that we know now for the first time that the CIA was absolutely aware of Oswald and his activities in the United States? Well, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I'm not comfortable with that. No, no serious investigative reporter goes out looking for a smoking gun. You go out and look for as much information as possible and you figure out what it means. I use that language, not because there's smoking gun proof of conspiracy. There is not. But there is smoking gun proof of the CIA's operational use of Oswald while JFK was still alive. And that's really the important point to be made here. And that's why we still see this continuing secrecy nearly 60 years after the fact, because the CIA has something very serious to hide. And that is its operational interest in Oswald before the assassination. Now, we're getting some indication that the CIA is actually going to respond to some of these claims. And we have to see what those are um, and how they respond. But that is a good sign that they are paying attention um, to what we're saying and they're taking it seriously. Um, You know, we expect continuing obfuscation because that's been their strategy for 59 years. They have never spoken transparently about their sources and methods around Oswald. But they are responding to public pressure from the Mary Farrell Foundation lawsuit and from widespread, frankly, skeptical media coverage where, you know, mainstream news organizations no longer accept the government's claim that there's perfectly reasonable to keep this stuff secret. You know, that claim is no longer credible now in the mainstream media. So We're seeing a new attitude on the part of the CIA, damage control perhaps, but they are responding. So that's a good sign. A lot of this also has to do with um, Oswald's uh, visit to Mexico City. I mean, many would say that this is an alleged visit to Mexico City. There's been a lot of speculation in the kind of the JFK research community over whether that actually was Oswald in Mexico. Could you describe the Oswald Mexico City visit and how they show up in these documents? Yeah, so... The accused assassin, a 24-year-old ex-Marine, travels from New Orleans to Mexico City in September 1963 and attempts to get a visa to travel 
to Cuba and the Soviet Union. And he applies for a visa at the diplomatic offices of those two countries in Mexico City. While he's there, those offices are under intense CIA audio and photographic surveillance. And so Oswald is picked up during that visit. And the, the Mexico City station, the CIA, sends a note to CIA headquarters. We heard this guy Oswald on the phone. Who is he? What do you know about him? And this question gets kicked to the very, very top of the CIA in October 1963. They, Oswald is not some loner loser who nobody cares about. To the contrary, when he shows up in Mexico City, this goes to the senior aides to Deputy Director Richard Helms and Counterintelligence Chief James Angleton. They controlled the Oswald file. That alone tells you that there was intense interest in this guy and the story of a lone gunman, a lone gunman who's of interest to top CIA officers, that just doesn't compute. So the story of the lone gunman, this, these, this cable in October 1963 pretty much refutes that notion. He was not alone as far as top CIA officials were concerned. He was very well known to them. So that's what we're, we're hoping to get at. Some of the information um, today that, that is supposed to be released today, and we haven't seen it yet, concerns those surveillance methods in Mexico City that picked up on Oswald. So Oswald's visit to Mexico City is still shrouded in some official secrecy. What have you made? I mean, you, you've, you've mentioned that uh, the mainstream press has become more skeptical of uh, CIA claims regarding their involvement or non-involvement with with Oswald. What have you made of the mainstream press's uh, reaction to uh, the press conference you were at and some of these latest revelations? I mean, I, I think we have a lot of credibility now, the Mary Farrell Foundation and the JFK Facts blog, because the government's explanation to date, oh, we just have to keep this stuff secret. I mean, after 59 years, it's just not very credible, even to people who are inclined to take the word of the CIA and believe the government. It's not a very credible story. And so people are looking for an explanation. And we have the explanation because we know these records, you know, better than mainstream news media reporters and perhaps even better than the CIA itself. Um, I'm thinking specifically uh, Politico had a write up of this by uh, Phil, Shan Phil Shannon. And yeah. in, in, in the Mexico City section of the article, um, it's sort of described as like, basically an agency screw up that like if they had just kicked this up the chain of command, they could have possibly saved Kennedy's life. What, what do you make of yeah. that? Uh, I mean, well, that's called a modified limited hangout <laughs> in Washington terms. Okay. It, it, it's very damaging to them to, to point out that top CIA officials knew all about this guy. And, th and they've finally been forced to admit that. So now what you're hearing now is, oh, you know, mistakes were made, right? That's the that, that's the classic formulation. Mistakes were made. So they're moving into a different line of response as a result of the pressure of disclosures and the lawsuit. And that, I think that's what that is a sign of is, oh, you know, we, we made some little mistakes, so please forgive us. Um, could you talk about uh, like, okay, so it's like these documents are supposed to come out uh, today. They will be, I'm sure, like at least half of the document. You're expecting at least half of the documents to still be withheld. Could you talk about the process by which uh, these documents will be released and like who and, and the, like the ongoing censorship of them? So, you know, we don't have an exact number. We think between what we're hearing is bet between a quarter and a, and a half are still um, outstanding or still have some redactions. Um, you know, I mean, 
they've blown the deadline. This is the fourth time in five years that they've blown the statutory deadline. So, you know, it's good that they are releasing more. They're still not in compliance with the law and they still haven't released the most important material. So, you know, we're making progress. I'd say we're getting warmer, but we don't have them yet. These documents, just for people's interest, will be posted on the National Archives website. I'm refreshing their page right now. They have not appeared yet. That We were told they would be dropped sometime between 2 and 5 Eastern today. So we're watching that, and we'll know more as soon as the documents appear. Um, so the CIA is spinning this madly. They went out and, and, and briefed you know, selected reporters um, to try and get their spin on the story. Um, they're worried. Um, and um, they're trying to do damage control right now. So, I, you know, we think we're making progress. We got to see exactly what's in there. And, you know, if three quarters of the documents have been released, some significant material may be released, you know, in the, in the coming hours. We, we may know more. We are going to have a press conference today in about an hour and a half and kind of talk about what we know so far. And then we're going to have another press conference tomorrow where we'll, we'll actually talk about the substance of what's in the released material and what wasn't released. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, they're still holding back some of the most important documents. Um, what, by your uh, estimation, uh, like are the most important documents yet to be released? Well, you know, all the um, documents associated with George Joannides and his tenure as psychological warfare chief in Miami in 1963 and also his very curious role as the lia CIA's liaison to the House Select Committee on Assassinations in 1978, when Joannidi stonewalls the investigators and doesn't disclose his very substantial interest in the events of 1963. So those documents are the most important, and there's the ones that the CIA has fought the hardest to conceal. So that's, you know, that's very important. We have um, also a list of about 25 to 40 documents that are highly relevant based on what we know about them. And we're going to check today to see how many of those documents have been released. So, you know, those are documents that have clear, direct connection to the assassination story, like they're about Oswald's trip to Mexico City or they're about the CIA in New Orleans. So, we'll know more and we'll be able to assess whether some of this most significant material has been included in the release. Uh, so let's say, you know, you're refreshing your browser window on the National Archives. It's 4.59 p.m. on the East Coast. The docu let's say they, they released some documents. Could you just uh, give, give me an idea of like what you like what your process is as a journalist for um, examining the, these newly released files? Well, all records in the JFK collection have what's called a RIF number record identification form. So we know all of the documents, each document by a number. So when the, when the documents are released today, we'll take that RIF number and we'll compare the version that was released today with we have at the Mary Farrell Foundation site, we have the redacted version of that document at Mary Farrell. So we'll compare the redacted version with the released version or with whatever was released today, and we'll be able to say, was this document released in, in its entirety, or are they still withholding? And so that'll be a rough measure of, you know, whether this significant material has been produced. 
not, you know, not an infallible one, but these are highly relevant documents. And so we'll have a little bit of a scorecard. We probably won't have that given the hour that it's already 3.30 and we haven't seen anything. We probably won't be able to talk about those documents until a press conference tomorrow. Uh, previously, when um, these documents were scheduled to be released and then not released, um, I read that um, our Supreme Court Justice uh, Judge Kavanaugh was the one who issued a decision uh, stopping the release of some of these documents and claiming that the CIA needed a deference upon deference in matters yeah. related to I mean, these. Uh, he, it, it wasn't. Kavanaugh wasn't ruling on the release of the documents. He was He was he was ruling on whether my lawsuit seeking the documents had merit. And it was it was Kavanaugh who tossed the the lawsuit in a split decision in 2018. So you know that's just typical for the federal courts, which defer to the national security agencies on these issues, and especially on. JFK, you know, they're not going to question the, the the government. What's interesting about Kavanaugh is earlier in my lawsuit in 2011, Kavanaugh had issued a, a, an opinion which said, which basically said that I was right. In 2018, on the cusp of his appointment to the Supreme Court, Kavanaugh had the exact same set of facts in front of him, and he ruled against me because he didn't want to cross the CIA lest it come up in his confirmation hearings. So. You know, that was opportunistic jurisprudence, um, deferential to the CIA as usual. Uh, you mentioned before the, uh, the, the Politico-Shannon sort of a limited hangout. I mean, how do you, do you anticipate more of these kind of managed uh, drips of information that give you part of the story but not uh, protect, protect you from perhaps the more, most important details of it? You know, uh, I think that the press is catching on that the CIA has been gaslighting people and that they have something to hide. And, you know, uh, we welcome the change, the new skepticism in the mainstream media. And, you know, we want people to take a hard look at this. Um, but yes, you know, the CIA spin doctors are stepping in and Biden's letter, which has been released, was released maybe an hour ago. There's a whole new process for what do they do with records that are withheld, you know, beyond today. So, the mechanism for delaying and obfuscating this story is is in place. And, you know, briefing selected reporters, you know, they're really trying to shape the narrative. And by controlling the records, you know, they're shaping not only the message to the media, but they're actually shaping the actual record of the assassination itself. They're trying to control the narrative of the JFK story. And so what we're seeing now is they've actually stepped that effort up. They never... In past years, they never briefed reporters in the kind of detail that they briefed reporters today. They've never responded in detail the way they did today. So, you know, they're feeling the pressure and they're feeling the need to explain what they never wanted to explain before and what they're still not willing to declassify. I mean, I guess we I mean, we we, we mentioned it to begin with, but I mean, in terms of uh, the story that they want told and the story they don't want told, I mean, I guess I don't I don't want to I mean. I guess I don't want to glide too easily over the significance of uh, what your work has uncovered, which is like, you know, at, at the very least, we can say that Oswald was known to both Richard Holmes and uh, Angleton in the months leading up to the assassination, but also was possibly part of psychological warfare operations led by this man, George Johannides, in the months leading up to the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, I mean, 
one thing that, that, that the CIA has obfuscated very skillfully since the 1990s, and the mainstream news organizations, much to their shame, have paid no attention, is just how much the CIA knew about Oswald before the assassination. Nobody really understood that story until the, the CIA's pre-assassination file on Oswald was declassified in the 1990s. And, you know, the story of a lone gunman does not survive that file because it is so detailed and so many people at the top of the CIA were aware of who Oswald was and everything about him. So, you know, that's, that, that pre-assassination Oswald file is really the foundation of my work, and that's the foundation of this story. And that, you know, that is coming into view. And the fact that they finally need to acknowledge that and do the modified limited hangout, you know, acknowledge parts of the story and deny it and others steer reporters in one direction away, away from other things. You know, that's, that's actually a good sign that, that, that we are making progress and that they feel the need to respond, which they never felt before. So we think that, you know, we have a shot at this and we're going to, and we're going to see them in court. We're, we're going to be in federal court with the CIA next, next year in San Francisco. And, you know, we're going to litigate this. We want the courts and Congress to step in. This has gone on long enough. This is our history. It belongs to the American people. It does not belong to the CIA. And we're going to get it. I mean, it looks like we've got a, a modified limited hangout today. But I think, you know, within the year, I think the public pressure on the CIA to come clean is going to be very intense. Um, and I guess, like, uh, just, just finally to close out here, um, Often, uh, these uh, you know when when documents are redacted or withheld, uh, they're withheld along the grounds of like you know national security doctrine. But the idea that we don't want to endanger ongoing uh, CIA operations or put anyone in harm's way who's currently in the field. I mean, what, what given the, just like the the nature of Oswald and his relationship to the CIA, and you've been covering the intelligence community for for years and for decades now. Um, it, does it not seem to be like there's sort of a pattern in, in, in the number of Oswalds, shall we say, that are associated with like CIA assets or operations? Yeah. Like this could be embarrassing for the agency for something that happened decades ago. But in terms of ongoing operations, doesn't doesn't this rhyme with a lot of other stuff that the agency or intelligence community does quite often? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the sources and methods exemption is, you know, it's a get out of jail free card. And they've played it freely on, you know, on Oswald and, and they do it on, on other people as well. And, the, and this, you know, background briefing of selected reporters, you know, that's also part of, 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 of manipulating the public record and, and, and tilting, you know, and they do that on lots of things. I mean, the JFK story is, is a perfect exemplar. It's an extreme exemplar of the extreme measures that the intelligence community and the CIA will go to, to cover their actions and to avoid accountability, you know? And so in that way, it's very, it's very useful because it is exemplary of what they do in other cases that are not so important as the assassination of a president, but are still very important. But I mean, like from, from a certain light, you could, you could view this as a story of like, uh, not, not CIA agents, but assets who like, I mean, maybe in the most charitable reading, uh, got a little out of hand. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's a lot of CIA operations in the world. You know, I really want to focus on JFK because, you know, other, other issues can be a distraction. You get into the contemporary political polemics. 
this story is very clear about what the CIA's obligations are. And that's why we want this story. And it doesn't need to be compared with anything else, you know. And I, I guess finally to let you go with this. I mean, if you look at um, uh, current public opinion polls on the American public and their attitude to what did Oswald act alone, it seems that a, a very clear majority of Americans do not believe that to be the case. I mean, this, it, you, would you review this as uh, a, a credit to the work being done by you and others? Or, I mean, like, how do you view the public's overall view of the Kennedy assassination and the American Well, you know, the first, public, the first public polling was done within days of the assassination about whether one man was responsible or more than one man. And from that day forward, a majority of Americans have always said more than one person was involved. That number has fluctuated over the years. It has um, declined in recent years. But Ben Dixon Amandi, a, a Miami polling firm, did a poll last month, a nationwide statistically valid poll. And they found that um, 50% of Americans today questioned, um, said that more than one person was involved. 39% said they believed the official story, and the rest had no opinion. So a majority, a bare majority, still believes that there was a conspiracy. A significant minority uh, accepts the government's view. That's, the, that's kind of the shape of public opinion. Now, what's interesting is there was also a question, what should Biden do today? Should he order all of this stuff released without exception, or should he allow the agencies to keep delaying? And that was 70% said Biden should order it all released without exception. And only about 15% said he should allow continuing withholding. And that was true across Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And it was true across the East, the South, the Midwest, and the West. So very solid public opinion in favor of full JFK disclosure. That's an important fact. And, you know, if, if these documents get released today, is there, is there anything specifically that you're going to be looking for? Um, we're looking for those for the Joannides material. Okay. That's one thing. In the lawsuit, we identify 10 different documents um, that, are, that we find significant, and we're also going to be looking at you know, a bunch of documents that are significant. But I think the, the sources and methods around Oswald is the central question right now. So that's what we're going to focus on. And, and we'll talk about it at the press conference tomorrow. And uh, just when and where is the press conference tomorrow? Uh, if it, can it's anyone tune in? Will it be live streamed anywhere? Uh, it'll be a Zoom call, and um, I don't know if we'll make it open to everybody or just reporters. We do want to give you know, people who are working for media organizations a chance to ask questions and get quotes. Um, but I can send you guys a link, and you know, you're a news organization, right? So Yeah, please do. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks once again, Jefferson Morley. Thanks for all your work on this. Uh, and uh, check out jfkfacts.substack.com. Thank you, Will. Thanks, Jefferson. <laughs> All right. Thanks again to reporter Jefferson Morley for the JFK facts. Uh, we're back now. Uh, Matt and Felix joining me. Uh, let's kick things off. Uh, folks, Trump is back at it again. He had a big announcement dropping today. It's here. It's probably bigger than the JFK revelations. And that is Trump baseball cards. Not physical Trump baseball cards, but Trump NFTs are out now. For only the low, low price of $99, you can have an NFT of Donald Trump's face badly photoshopped onto a cowboy. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it. I think Elron the fat ass is going to win now. <laughs> or at least like Trump, like, like, like Trump isn't going to. 
I was so confident in Trump winning the nomination. And now I'm really not. It just like the response to these wasn't like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this for my family, you know, at Christmas. <laughs> I'm uh my my gender niece is gonna hate this. It was like, uh, well, we're facing so many crises crises, and this is what he does. And it's like, well, yeah, like uh, Felix, yeah, like yeah. Felix, I saw a really good one. It was a reply from a, a, a begrieved Trump fan who was hoping the announcement would be, uh, the Constitution is now suspended. I'm your base nationalist emperor. Uh, they were like, it seems he's just doing this for money. Can you like, imagine? <laughs> no, it just really, it, I know that isn't the case. It just like really seems like that. It's really um, upsetting. I, I do think it's interesting. Yes, he, he, he comes on the NFT bandwagon well after uh, that whole thing has collapsed, but there is no pitch on here that these things are going to increase in value. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no fantasy of like, oh, this is an investment. Just, no, oh, this is a thing. You have this now, like, like a commemorative plate, but you can't display it anywhere. Like his fans, the people who buy shit like Trumpy Bear or whatever the fuck, they want a physical object. They do not. What are they supposed to do with this thing? How are they supposed to trigger their their gendered uh, blue hair niece with a fucking uh, thing that's where they could even put it on their phones, on their fucking jitterbug? Can you put an NFT on a jitterbug? I don't think so. Yeah, it's I, like well, they're, they're, yeah, their family comes over and they're like, oh, wait till you see this. And then they like they search through like three different iPads and they're like, oh, it's not on this <laughs> one. Hold on. Oh, uh, wait. Uh, what's your what's uh, what's what, what's grandma's birthday again? I think that's the password <laughs> to this one. And then 45 minutes later, they show just like a, a, a picture of Trump photoshopped as Superman. Um, I don't even know if these are blockchain secured, but uh, the, the 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 copy for this the, the the rollout of the Trump baseball card collection is quite extraordinary. So let's let's play the just the audio for that now. Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump. Hopefully, your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, <laughs> with an important <laughs> announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. These cards feature some of the really incredible artwork pertaining to my life and my career. It's been very exciting. You can collect your Trump Digital Cards just like a baseball card or other collectibles. Here's one of the best parts. My official Trump Digital Trading Cards are $99, which doesn't sound like very much for what you're getting. No, it doesn't sound like a lot at all. No. Especially for what I'm getting. <laughs> uh, uh, l listeners, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this video, but uh, the audio doesn't do justice when he says, some of the incredible artwork based on my life and career, they're really spectacular. It is bad even by NFT Terrible. Awful. <laughs> oh, my God. It, it just... makes those fucking apes look like Rembrandt. <laughs> it's really bad. It's uh, basically just uh, like, you know, it's him Photoshop. It, it, it reminds me of like a, like paper cutout dolls where you just bend like Trump in like a cowboy outfit or a tuxedo or as an astronaut. That was my personal favorite. Trump as an astronaut. And they just like, where he's just, just standing there in a suit and then there's just a bunch of gold bricks raining down around him. It's uh, it's good stuff. But only only ninety nine dollars. Can you believe it? It's a steal. It's definitely a deal. At the end of it, that someone a voice shows and uh, says, uh, no purchase necessary. I don't know if you got to that port. It's at the very end. And I was like, wait, what? Is this a Zen Cohen? What are you fucking talking about? This is 
an ad for a thing you buy. What are you talking about? It's not a sweepstakes. I still don't know what the hell that meant. Uh, you know, I, I agree with you, Felix. This, uh, this is this is dinging. The this is making it harder to ride the Trump train in twenty twenty four because I don't know. This was suggested to me that he's not even going to run for president in twenty twenty four. Yeah, he, like, he is. Like, he can't yeah, I know. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but he does yeah. that. He does that all the time. Yeah, you know, he says he's going to do something and then doesn't do it. When has yeah. Trump ever done that before? Like, I Hillary guess. was supposed to go to prison. I mean, I could see him do it. I mean. People kept saying the reason he's running again is because he's afraid of being prosecuted, and maybe he will, it finally has dawned on him that no one ever goes to jail if they're president, and he doesn't have to worry about that. He's got he's got uh, lifetime plot armor from having been president, and maybe he'll realize I'd rather not risk losing to DeSantis because like that's what he fears is is being a loser, and he was able to he was able to protect himself from that with Brandon by just saying oh that was stolen. But can you say that a Republican primary got stolen from you by another Republican? That's a little hard <laughs> to sell. That's why it's just, I mean, if you're trying to convince Republican voters, that's a little harder. It's, it, you keep getting a smaller and smaller fraction of the electorate. I did see um, uh, Dilbert Scott Adams uh, speculating that the announcement would be that he would he would uh, sort of announce now that Carrie Lake would be his running mate in 2024, oh, and I'm just like, what's the value add there? She she's a loser. She's a loser. Yeah. She's she's like she is like right wing Kamala Harris, except she's never won an election. It reminds me of like when Ted Cruz tried to save his flagging campaign by being like, oh, guess what. I'm going to announce that Carly Fiorina would be my running mate. <laughs> yeah. Blew the doors off. Similar, just brain dead. Like, only only excites people who are already on the Ted Cruz thing. If it, well, is, if I, it does end up being DeSantis, it really does prove you've got to be a governor if you're going to be a regular politician to pull any kind of, of heat because only as a governor can you really initiate uh, news. Can you Only as a governor can you be the face of issues. And if you're not going to be a charismatic uh, TV star outsider, that's the only way to like juice people and get them interested is if you are the face of the hot button uh, cultural issues that like stand in for the tele the prestige TV shows that they don't watch. Well, if there's one thing uh, L. Ron DeSantis has in spades, it's charisma. So oh, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's he's a triple threat uh, for 2024. Uh, one more bit of uh, audio edification for you listeners. I was really excited when this dropped today. It's new heat. You know him. You love him. We all know the song. We love our cops, our law enforcement. We love our military. They're important. That's right. New heat from Baked Alaska. First day out the feds. Heads to the stew. Drop that freestyle. Fuck Elon Musk. I don't care about you. You want a dollars from me. I don't say anything, but I say I criticize the Jews. For eight dollars <laughs> <laughs> a month. Fuck you, and I want. How do you not rhyme you with Jews? I was feeling <laughs> I went to. It's right there. In a white dress. And they gave me all these pills and they said I was crazy and they said I'm in a mental hospital. <laughs> I feel like I'm in hell. They me to jail. Now I feel like I'm in hell. All I wanted to do was make fun of a liberal. One more time. I said one more time. Hey, let's hear that rock. Twitter is gay. Twitter is, Twitter is, Twitter is gay. This the remix, but I say it all gay. Twitter is gay. Yeah, it's motherfucking gay. <laughs> the only that thing he the only thing he managed to rhyme in that freestyle was day, gay, and say. 
That's like the type of song you make when you're like six and get like put in in school suspension. It's like a song you make against your principal. <laughs> well, I gotta also, say, the, uh, why is it it's gay? Because they won't let me on it. That's, that's why it's gay. <laughs> Um. Uh. Yeah. Free thug, free gunna, free baked Alaska. Yeah. What is he not in jail? <laughs> well, the, the, I mean, well, who knows? But um, it he did like instantly turn on everyone, didn't he? Like, it's already like he 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 ratted in the January sixth case, right? I I don't know. I don't know if anything's public. I don't know I if, thought, if no, he's yeah. still waiting for trial or not. I don't think I don't think snitching is really like a bad thing to these people though. Like I don't think you can be snitch yeah, jacketed on okay. the right. He, I think he, it's yeah. just sort of... he pled guilty to a misdemeanor I in, in January sixth, yeah. which means he probably snitched on somebody. Yeah. Well, no, there yeah. was something like beyond that. Like there was there were court documents saying he like cooperated. I don't know. I don't really remember, but I remember people talking about that. I don't really like I. I don't know. I do care one way or the other because I'm not so much into the conservative movement as I am the story of them being friends. <laughs> uh, that's the main thing I care about. Um, what, one more thing. I mean, he, he's going in. He's going in on Elon Musk. But I guess, like, I, I just want to talk about really uh, the uh, the Dave Chappelle Elon Musk appearance. I mean, that was. I have never seen someone bottle a line read worse than Elon Musk going. A bitch, bitch. Like, oh, God, that was pathetic. Very embarrassing. Yeah. I would say, like, more embarrassing for Dave Chappelle, though. Like, oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. Brutal. I mean, that's what you, you, you get to the point, you get to the mountaintop where, like, there's no more challenge in being a comedian anymore. You go on stage and you know you're going to get laughs and it means nothing. So you're just kind of looking for any other response. And I think that is right. He, he really, like, doubled and tripled down on the trans thing is because. It was it was a new experience to have that kind of spiky response from an audience, and now he's reached the 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 hellraiser bounds of uh, of audience pleasure now by ringing up his <laughs> goon and having uh, everyone boo him. And I guess the the other latest uh, Twitter Elon news is that he uh, suspended the uh, website that tracked his private jet after saying he wouldn't. And I don't know, like it's just because he's saying he's saying he's at risk for assassination. Now, flight plans for any public or private aircraft are registered and are public domain. Like, I mean, these are government public records like this is a textbook. You know, this would not violate any law um, to share. But I would just like to say that, I mean, he, he does think he is at risk for assassination. I would just like to say I have been enjoying the thought of. You know, in a satirical context, one of the many surface-to-air missiles that we've uh, given to Ukraine finding its way to the uh, fuselage of his private aircraft from the ground, in in a, in a sort of a movie-like satire joke context, a Minecraft scenario, if you will. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Felix, I think you were right that the the phenomenon of uh, private aircraft travel is so obscene and wasteful that like. I, I just think these people like having to be a little bit ashamed of you taking a 15 minute flight should be like the least bad thing that happens to you. Yeah. I mean, it's not just Eli. I, I mean, I loved all those celebrity private jet accounts. I mean, just because it's like, it's so perverse how they, everyone is taking the same like 15 minute flight to Palm Springs. And it's like, I'm under no impression that the, anyone will like pass a law or regulation that will like keep Taylor Swift or Elon Musk for that matter from doing it. But it, it is nice 
that like at least it's something that they'll like be embarrassed about if someone asks. But not like now we can't even have that. Yeah, because ever being embarrassed, ever being uncomfortable, ever feeling like you have to second guess a single thing you ever do or say uh, is violence and is oppression. If you have enough money, because all of your other needs, the entire Maslow's hierarchy is completely filled up, but you're still the, the empty uh, nothing that you were when you started your soulless grasp to the top. So the only remaining uh, horizon is just total and complete uh, uh, validation in every corner and sector of the world, which is why these people are all consciously and unconsciously trying to build a world that is just a, 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 a collect an archipelago of like Dubai premium Delta lounges across the world that are all completely sterile and empty. And everyone in them is being paid by them to tell them what they want to hear. And that's the, yeah. old, and there's nothing outside of it that that's the, that's the, what's gnawing at them now is like, they all live there now, but they know thanks to the internet that there are people outside of it who are maybe judging them, maybe thinking that they're not cool and base and awesome and funny. And getting rid of that awareness is the goal, whether they know it or not. I did. I did think it was like kind of interesting that Elon was the one to ban like the celebrity jets account because it is like, I don't know. I, I get, I think like the, the faux populist branding of the new Twitter, like only worked on the dumbest people. I mean, I get like Elon fans and other like Dutch posters, but, <laughs> um, no one really bought that, but it, it did have a notable populist branding. But like it, it so far, I mean, it just it seems like he's more on like the celeb dick riding side than even regular Twitter was. I mean, I, I don't even I don't think that like the Jack Dorsey regime or the guy who came after him, who I forgot his name, uh, would have done this. But it, yeah, it, I mean, they did. It, it does yeah. show like a, it does show a sweatiness by Elon Musk to be accepted by normal celebrities as well. Well, they're the only people who are going to be in the Delta Lounge with you. You can't kick the celebrities out because they have their own independent oh, wealth. So you, they, you have to, they have to like you, too. I know everyone loves complaining about uh, at Jack, and he's obviously a complete nitwit. But no, I mean, his awesome. tenure as CEO of Twitter was pretty awesome because every time anyone would complain to him about anything, he'd be like, <laughs> would love to get to this. I'm currently in a yurt right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> taking, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, taking Greek yogurts depositories. Right. Well, yeah. No. Under the Jack regime, he was met with complaints like hourly. Uh, by people with a lot of followers who are like, can you make people display where they work on their account so I can call their boss? And Jack was always like, you know, I'm, oh, uh, I'd love to join you, but I'm, I'm inventing a new form of Judaism right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in Atlantis right now. What was I'm, I'm, I found, I found Santa Claus with the last living Nazi. <laughs> The third Reich. But, uh, I'm currently chewing on a 300 foot long uh, piece of linen that is going to pass through my entire body. Yeah, me and my friends from my yoga class found uh, an ancient Mayan fruit by the foot that we're eating. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't do that. But yeah, he never he never like, you know, really responded to anyone's like idiotic demands and never he never tried to make Twitter anything but like his already stupid idea which i guess is just like oh we're all gonna link consciousness if this <laughs> keeps going or whatever whatever stupid thing he thought i don't know 
But I did. I appreciate how I appreciated how like immovable he was in his vision. Elon is really not like that. Just like anyone who replies to him, Elon decides that like that is the new person who he's towering the new Twitter to. What was that thing Jack did where he like put himself in a tent with mosquitoes and let mosquitoes bite him? I'm. I don't, I don't even know that, that one. No, <laughs> I do not remember that one. What? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. Uh, I, I seem to remember it was some some new age health thing about letting mosquitoes bite you. Maybe it's like sort of modern day leeching or something like that. I think you're thinking of Seth Green's film Without a Paddle, <laughs> a film lover's classic. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Felix, you, you mentioned uh, finding Santa Claus, the uh, the last living Nazi. Uh, but you know, it's that time of year. It's Christmas time, so I have a uh, I have a reading series for you guys that guys that is uh, Santa related. Shall we jump into that? Yeah, this is a quick hit, uh, courtesy of the uh, the Christmas uh, coverage at uh, thefederalist.com. The headline to this opinion piece is Santa Claus is too fat for five year olds by Tristan <laughs> Justice. OK, that's not your real name. <laughs> Tristan Justice. Santa okay. Claus is too fat for five year olds. When there are no role models who aspire to be a picture of health, there will be little to no incentive to cultivate healthy habits. Tristan writes, when I was a high school junior in Ohio, I had to debate a classmate on a topic of our choice for a course on public speaking. I was always obnoxiously political, so my peers had no interest in hearing me drone on and on about ISIS, Social Security, or how bad President Barack Obama was and why Mitt Romney lost a winnable election just two years prior. They'd heard enough of my adolescent commentary on whatever I listened to on cable news that morning, while everyone else recapped highlights from SportsCenter. So when it came to time to settle on a subject, my classmate and I chose something a little more lighthearted to quibble about in front of an entire class. The obesity of Santa Claus. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to uh, engage in debate with this precocious, politically-minded high schooler from What? Ohio? What is this guy's qualifications for, like, <laughs> being in the news just that he was like an annoying kid uh, it says here tristan justice is the western correspondent for the federalist he has also written for the washington examiner and the daily signal his work has also been featured in real clear politics and fox news Chris tristan graduated from george washington university where he majored in political science and minored in journalism follow him at, it, on did, twitter do <laughs> they just like do, do they just like send out like nfl scout types to like find kids that were like hospitalized from bullying <laughs> like right for the Federalist when they turn 20. Like, how are they finding these annoying children? I think the annoying children find them. Although yeah, I do love probably. the idea of like, of like uh, conservative media boosters, you know, giving the living room pitch to the family about you know, your, your, your son's a five, a five tool, uh, five tool asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what's it going to take for us to put you in the Washington Examiner? Well, you know, if, if your son writes for the foreword, he can get molested by Sheldon Adelson's ghost. Ooh. Really? Oh, man. Now I'm imagining getting domed from Sheldon Adelson's ghost like Dan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters. Well, I mean, he didn't have any teeth towards the end. I mean, it's, it's all debate over whether you think, like, a ghost is your final form in life. Like, if, if you're in heaven with a wheelchair, kind of, like, that debate. <laughs> that would suck if that was the case. Yeah. Oh, don't let people hear you say that. People get really upset. <laughs> it's actually that. better to be in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're number one in heaven. All right, uh, back to Tristan Justice. He says, uh, yes, he, he chose to quibble in front of the entire class about the obesity of Santa Claus. 
He writes, I argued the longtime Christmas mascot was an unfit role model for American children to admire. Okay, I just think the idea, is Santa Claus really a role model? Are our children looking there up can to Santa Claus? can only be one Santa Claus. He is an immortal being. Nobody can, I'm going to grow up and be Santa. This is not. Yeah. What they think the deal is like, if you really want to be Santa, you just got to get really fat and then go to the North Pole and challenge him to a duel. And if you kill Santa, you become him. Some Barry Bonds we're talking about. I think, like I think we imaginary I think we, character. Okay, I think we know what type of school he went to. If Santa Claus was a role model, which brings up a lot of questions about how he still managed to get bullied in that type of school. I just like Santa Claus is not an aspirational figure. He's he's a mythic being that you appeal to for presents. No one's. When I grow up, I want to be Santa Claus. I'll have all the toys then. This is I mean, yeah. only more Run, running, running some fucking. Do, uh, that is one of the options in Mormon uh, theology: is you get to be yeah. a Santa Claus on your own planet. Yeah. You get to run your own your own Arctic borstal filled with elves. Mm -hmm. uh, he goes here. Uh, t I also argued that teaching kids to lay out a gourmet spread of cookies and milk for a likely diabetic Santa consume in the middle of the night encouraged a lifestyle of apathy towards personal health. He has like, metaphysical abilities to travel the world in like eight hours. Why would he have diabetes, you fucking idiot? Santa Claus is probably less fat than the average American. This is what once again, though, this is, this is this is the 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 uh, the identity politics horseshoe reminding me of that awesome tweet is a uh, god god is a fat woman who twerks and maybe has diabetes and you don't need it's to know none of your business yeah none of your business is god has diabetes <laughs> it's god <laughs> it created the fucking universe i don't i don't think I, I, having sugar in the blood is really going to be much of an issue for the supreme immortal being um but i also like uh, this is a good good sign of bad writing here he goes here uh, just like the the unnecessary adjective of a gourmet spread of cookies and milk. That, that, that it's gour gourmet, gourmet cookies? cookies and milk. No, gourmet not, cookies and milk. You could gourmet say, milk. I love that gourmet <laughs> glass of milk. Freshly squozen. That, that, that means that my fucking my disgusting uh, Midwest upbringing, where eating <laughs> baked beans and fucking uh, ham from the grocery store is gourmet because there was a sixteen ounce glass of milk with every meal. <laughs> <laughs> There's only uh, one gourmet milk I know of, and it's uh, Oberweiss. Racist, yeah, the racist milk baron, Jim Oberweiss. Uh, <laughs> perennial what, failed, failed uh, Illinois gubernatorial candidate. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, okay. He goes, I can't remember much else from the brief discussion, and my notes are buried away uh, 1,100 miles from where I'm living now in Colorado. But I distinctly remember the eruption of laughter when I called jolly old St. Nicholas a walking heart attack. Well, memory is very un very unreliable, uh, as you'll find. Gales of laughter from his classmates for that that stinger. Um, he goes, "It was a joke at the time. Being a high schooler in 2014, my part my partisanship was so strong that I would even mock First Lady Michelle Obama's efforts to tackle childhood obesity through her Let's Move campaign, complete with an overhaul of school lunch programs. I went on to publish a column in The Federalist last year begging for that level of activism to return. Childhood obesity seemed like a joke to us in school, but it shouldn't have. 
According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, more than 17% of Americans aged 2 to 19 were considered categorically obese in 2014. In 2020, that number reached nearly 20%, or one in five uh, people in the same age range. According to the study from uh, the University of Southern California and the University of Michigan out last year, nearly half of the nation's children ages 5 to 11 reached a body mass index that qualifies them as medically obese. Pandemic lockdowns accelerated childhood weight gain from an already high baseline. Uh, make no mistake, America is facing a crisis of obesity, a real problem when you consider it as a prime comorbidity to seemingly every other major health problem in the country. With children adopting the toxic habits of their parents in a country where 77% of adults qualify as, at minimum, overweight, the next generation is already set up to fail. That failure carries with it a lifetime of medical complications, with millions of people being at severe risk of chronic disease in the long term and certain immobilization in the short term. Guess uh, he will not be seeing Darren Aronofsky's new movie starring Brendan Fraser. We- <laughs> As Santa Claus. Why didn't they use a real fat guy? <laughs> like Santa Claus. I- <laughs> Too many American kids are looking up to Brendan Fraser as the whale uh, for as a role model. And quite frankly, I think it's it's bad news. Uh, by every measure, the iconic Santa Claus with his snow white beard and stretched black belt buckle is an emblem of Christmas comfort and a staple in a happy holiday. Kids watch movies about his magic, fantasize about the North Pole fairy tale, and visit the man himself to ensure a desirable deposit of presents under the Christmas tree on morning. Uh, sorry, under the tree on Christmas morning. What's not to love? It doesn't require teaching children to hate fat people to hate <laughs> fat. Santa Claus doesn't have to glorify obesity either. In a nation where pro-fat influencers from Lizzo to local school officials are already inundating children with pro-fat messages disguised as body positivity, children don't need one more mascot to encourage their weight gain. When there are no childhood role models left to aspire to be a picture of health, there will be no, little to no incentive for children to learn the value of healthy habits. If government bureaucrats at NORAD are going to put a mask on the man riding his sleigh alone in the upper atmosphere, they could at least trim his weight. That said, parents, please don't deprive your children of their dopamine treats on dreamy Christmas Eve. Heat the cocoa, bake the cookies, and make the memories sweet. But when New Year's Day rolls around, it's time to commit to be fit. I saw the idea of Santa Claus as a pro-fat influencer. And again, yeah, like, what is he, what is he uh, prescribing here to replace Santa Claus? Just like, I think it's like all of these conservative guys who write, they just like, they, they, they need men to be fitter and more attractive. Yeah, there, there's, there's those movies, The Santa Chronicles, with uh, Kurt Russell as Santa, and he's like looking good. Oh, yeah. So I think that's what they're, they're dreaming of, is like a Ooh, yeah. buff sort of uh, rough trade. Maybe he's got like a Tom of Finland leather cap on Santa to show up. It's just, it's interesting. They always point to like Lizzo and the fat influencers that we have now. And that is a phenomenon, but it has come well after the huge rise in childhood obesity obesity started. So kind of by definition, it cannot be responsible for why the phenomenon has occurred as opposed to it being more the, 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 the Occam's razor explanation for this is always, well, a lot of people are fat now and they feel bad about it. So there's going to be media to make them not feel bad about that because that's what the media exists to do to make you not feel bad about your miserable fucking condition and maybe find something to buy to assuage any lingering anxiety you might have. So again, we got to fucking talk about the goddamn symptoms all day and, and, and trigger the libs instead of actually being like, Hey, what the fuck has happened in the last 30 years? The kids are just getting so fucking fat. 
I think that this is a, a good example of uh, the sort of paradigm shift from uh, being a traditional conservative to an out-and-out -out, uh, reactionary or authoritarian is because, like, if you're, if you're interested in conserving something about uh, American traditions, then you have to have that jolly old St. Nick. You want you if you're a kid, you want your kid being bounced on the lap of some sweaty fat. Santa's alcoholic. always been fat as a Santa thing. Is like a, you can't look, use you, him like, as an example a, of, a of of culture uh, poisoning the minds of children because he's been fat as shit forever. <laughs> if you're a conservative, you could get mad at making Santa Claus black. <laughs> Like Megyn Kelly did, because traditional, uh, you know, representations of Santa Claus is that yeah, he is a a, a jolly Caucasian man with rosy cheeks, mm -hmm. but that now now demanding that we change beloved Christmas traditions to uh, you know uh, have some sort of Jugendrind of a healthy <laughs> fit youth uh, seems to me uh, to be going against the reason for the season. He's he's got a, a round face and a little round belly. <laughs> shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly that's in the that's in the scripture <laughs> well, I, I, I think the federalist needs to look into this rudolph character as well i mean i mean i'm uh, talking about like, this is of uh, alcoholism well, no it's we wokeism that having rudolph be promoted to lead the sleigh uh, despite not having any qualifications for it well he's got the red nose but that's because he drinks we can't be encouraging that either I guess like I uh, just what <laughs> one last thing uh, before we go, uh, Felix. I, I have to tell you, I've been basically have thought of nothing over the last week or so, except for the guy you discovered who was claiming the monsters were like the starting gun for the oh my Yaka, oh yeah satanic uh, influence <laughs> over. You, know, you just describe that guy because I've just been thinking about the monsters all week and how it has been uh, slowly. Uh, brainwashing our country to accepting ghouls and monsters and Satanism. Okay, so I found this guy in the replies to Sebastian Gorka, who is, you know, a figure I'd forgotten about. I think there are just so many of these guys, you just, they, they cycle in and out of your mind. But I did find, Sebastian Gorka was posting about, like, the new, uh, the Wednesday Adam show, which, just, side note, it's hilarious that grownups are watching that show. <laughs> Hilar yeah, like what the hell is hysterical. I saw a fucking screen cap of that show where the blonde girl says to the uh, Wednesday Adams, she goes, you know, most people say they don't have, they're out of Fs to give, but you never had an F. That's, <laughs> you You pay taxes. Why are you watching that? That's not for you. What the hell is going on? Uh, but anyway, um, Sebastian Gorka was posting about it, and this guy replied to him and said, you know, it reminds me of the frogs in the pot method. They started in the 60s with the Munsters <laughs> to, inocu to, to, to inoculate Americans against Satanism and scary ghosts and, and the occult. And now look what's on TV and look what's in schools. And now they're now we're being boiled alive by Wednesday on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love the idea of someone being frightened of the monsters. And they're, yeah. like, they're, they're... Well, I just I love it when conservatives this is like a ancillary to it, of course, because the, the primary thing is being terrified by the monsters. <laughs> yes. The secondary thing is I love it when conservatives talk like Franz Fanon, like their version of it. Like there's a, there's a version of like liberals, like liberal colonialism that incorporates ghouls in the monster mash being being put <laughs> upon them in middle America. 
You're just frogs uh, in a pot. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I really love that. Uh, well, uh, cheers to Grandpa Al Lewis, wherever you are in hell <laughs> for doing yes. Satanism. Yeah. <laughs> Al Lewis was uh, good friends with Al Goldstein of uh, Screw Magazine. So there you go. You know, there you go. More proof. Did, bringing did, society in my, down. In my like. In my, I don't know, like mental organization, I feel like the kid who played Eddie Munster like grew up to be a conservative figure. Am I wrong in that? <laughs> I don't think so. Am I just, did I just make that up? I think you did. He was on the, okay. he, he guested on The Simpsons uh, a long time ago. <coughs> his name was uh, Butch, what's his name? Butch Patrick, that's his name. Okay. It just he did not seemed... become, he would have, he probably could have been a good one, but I don't think he did it. That just seemed true to me. I never thought that deeply about it, but it just it seemed like one of those things that would be true. Oh, the the Eddie Munster would be involved in the conservative movement. No, no, just just yeah. normal, uh, uh, just a normal, humble former child actor. He probably Ooh. like uh, he was from a generation where like you know he probably like bought a parking lot with like one of his paychecks in 1978 in yeah. Century City, California, and now he's a millionaire, so he doesn't need that bullshit. Okay, yeah, more to your theory. He's like almost 70 years old. He got married in 2016. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's money moves. Yep, yep. Uh I always thought like uh, I looked like Eddie Munster when I was a kid. I can see. Well, it. I just like low hairline. <laughs> no, I've okay, but not now, but no, I just you know, it's just I I think we have like sort of a similar face, you know, a little werewolf boy. I just like I I remember I remember liking the monsters cuz I was like I would tell myself it's like seeing myself on television. <laughs> <laughs> it was representation. Yeah, Eddie Munster was a role model. <laughs> Unlike that fat piece of shit Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Do some fucking or sit up that, Santa. That awful that awful witch Wednesday. <laughs> I well, I got I got to say as as long as we're casting new Santa Clauses, I think actually Seb Gorka would make a pretty good one. I mean, his head is enormous. He just needs to to dye his goatee a, a snowy white. I mean, he just, I, I can't see him having any moments of mirth. And yeah, he's, he's he's come from, yeah, I think it would be Mike Lindell would be an incredible Santa Claus. <laughs> Everyone's getting pillows this year for Christmas. Mike yeah. Lindell pillows, has pillows or aluminum foil. My, uh, he does have experience <laughs> breaking into people's houses on Christmas time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> working, working all night long. <laughs> he's ru- he's running for RNC chair. I don't know if you saw that. He's challenging yeah. Ronnie Ronald McDonald for uh, for RNC chair, Mitt Romney's niece or whatever the hell. I mean, like, why not? Yeah, go for it. Pedal to the like, like, what the fuck? Like, oh, he isn't serious enough. Like, okay. Well, uh, I hope everyone uh, gets everything that they want for Christmas from that um, disgusting Lardo Santa that Claus. piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> but just remember, just remember, though he may seem jolly, he will be soon to lose a foot to diabetes. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, all right. Yeah. So I uh, hope everyone has a, continues to have a, a fun holiday season. Because um, that does it for today. Thanks again to uh, Jefferson Morley jfkfacts.substack.com Till next time, fellas. Bye. Bye. Bye.